Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to Episode 71 of This Week in FCPA for the week ending October 6, 2017, the Three Dingers edition. In this episode, Jay and I return for a wide-ranging discussion of some of the week's top compliance and ethics-related stories, including Roy Snell considers whether compliance officers should be liked or respected, the intersection of sports, corruption, and compliance is explored by Jacqueline Jager in an article in Compliance Week. We take a look at the Allaire FCPA enforcement action and how it emphasized the convergence of revenue recognition as and corruption. We consider the question asked by Bill Coffin, Editor-in-Chief at Compliance Week, of who will be the next compliance hero. We note a report in the Wall Street Journal, Risk and Compliance, online site by Ben DiPietro that Ireland has requested a review by the European Court of Justice of the legality of contracts governing data transfers between the EU and the United States, and also whether Privacy Shield will be in effect. Matt Kelly reports on more chaos from the Trump administration as HHS Secretary Tom Price resigns, and Matt ties it to a compliance program. We take a look at yesterday's win by the Houston Astros over the Boston Red Sox in the first game of the ALDS playoffs, where Jose Altuve became only the ninth player in MLB history to hit three home runs in a playoff game. We discuss my October entry of one month to a more effective compliance program where I consider business ventures such as joint ventures, mergers and acquisitions, distributors, channel ops, partners, teaming agreement, and all other manners of business ventures. This month is sponsored by the Volkoff Law Group. Jay and I will be podcasting a live episode of This Week in FCPA from the SCCE uh, conference. Stay tuned for details on date and time. We note the uh, posting of the Everything Compliance, episode 19, where we have the top roundtable compliance podcast. I discuss the premiere of a new exciting service offering that I am providing, the Doing Compliance Masterclass, which is an online training which will take you a deep dive into the doing of compliance going forward. The This Week in FCPA podcast is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello again. This is Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist, back with... Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitors, for another episode of This Week in FCPA. This is episode 71 for the week ending, October 6th, 2017, the Three Dingers edition. If you don't know what Three Dingers means now, you will know by the end of this episode. So, Jay, welcome. Thank you, Tom. We've got a a great week of uh, compliance and sports ahead of us, and uh Next week, we hope to see a lot of you folks at the SCCE Compliance and Ethics Institute, which uh, starts next uh, Sunday night. So uh, take it away, Tom. Speaking of SCCE, what does Roy Shell consider? So Roy, uh, if you don't know Roy Snell, you should. He is the uh, current president of the SCCE, uh, although he has announced his retirement. And Roy can rant with the best of them. And uh, sometimes he gets going and he get, can't stop. Sometimes he gets going and in the end, uh, you get an email in a few minutes, please delete everything I said in your brain. And sometimes he publishes his rants. And I think we have an example, Jay, of the third category, 
because he posted a blog on the SCCE Compliance and Ethics blog site entitled Compliance Apologists Being Liked and Being Respected. And he, he really talked about the dynamic tension, uh, I think, that many compliance officers feel um, and perhaps many people feel. And uh, he said um, that sometimes you just have to put your foot down and you have to say no and you have to protect people from themselves and you have to uh, keep people from doing stupid things that might get the company criminally prosecuted or the person thrown in jail. And he ended with saying, uh, stay calm and carry on does not mean whip out a board game and buy donuts for every time, for everyone, every time there is resistance. Uh, be a good manager. Uh, look at parents who are, think they're doing a great job raising their children. They may irritate their children on occasion, but they will have their children's respect in the long run. And, and you know, I don't often think about being a compliance officer as being akin to a parent, and he ends up with apologizing is not how it works. Apologizing is not how any of this works. And so he really, um, I think, spoke to a dynamic that requires you as a compliance practitioner uh, to uh, not only be proud of what you do, but also do, do so in a manner that's uh, commensurate with what is required. So that uh, if you have to keep people from doing something stupid that's going to get the company or, or themselves in trouble, you should not apologize for that. And so I'm going to be very interested to talk to Roy about uh, about this blog post when we get to the uh, Compliance and Ethics Institute. But uh, my sense is that it was a, um, a rant over something that got him going. So uh, do you um, remember that one-man play uh, got turned into a movie with uh, – Robert De Niro, and it's called The Bronx Tale. Yeah. And uh, he's kind of caught between two word, two worlds. Um, De Niro plays a bus driver who's, you know, working class uh, Italian immigrant. And the kid really gravitates more towards Chaz Palmiteri, who is the uh, mafioso. And uh, I guess the question that they ask there is, is it better to be feared or to be loved? And that's probably a take on Machiavelli, but I think that's really the crux of what Roy is talking about in this um, rant of his. So I guess, Jay, um, I find it to be a little bit of a false dichotomy that uh, coming out of the corporate legal function, uh, that was certainly something that uh, in-house lawyers do. But it's, um, you know, Roy comes down to uh, – at the end, it's all about respect, and I could not agree with him more about that. And I think in the corporate world, and, and I'd certainly be interested in your views on this, is that um, if you are viewed as someone who uh, will not stand up for whatever they're required to stand up for, whether that be compliance, whether that be legal, whether that be internal audit, whether that be sales, whether that be human resources, whatever it may be, you're, you're basically useless, and uh, you're not doing your job. So I think respect is a key component. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, everyone gets a reputation for what they can add uh, on the team. And if uh, you are either wishy-washy or you don't really have a, a firm moral compass, uh, that's really going to dictate whether or not uh, you are able to, um, you know, succeed not only in your function, 
but also uh, within the greater company. Uh, so anyway, uh, check out the article and uh, see what you think. Uh, next, Jay, we have a another article on the NCAA scandal that we premiered and previewed and uh, went into a deep dive last week. This one is by Jacqueline Jager, our colleague uh, at Compliance Week. And she, uh, uh, as Jacqueline always does, thoroughly reviewed the facts. But she actually then went to a couple of topics I'd like to maybe explore <clears throat> a little bit more that we touched on last week, Jay. And this first is the broader implications of the scandal. And the second is the compliance lessons. And really on the broader implications, I think she, she nails it when she says, on the surface, the nature of the NCAA fraud and corruption scheme appear to be relevant only to the world of college athletics. However, upon a deeper dive, it raises critical questions about the relationship of the major apparel companies, the colleges and the universities they are in cahoots with. And indeed, I would raise that to the um, bigger part of uh, amateurism in college sports. So it's going to be uh, really interesting uh, to see how that relationship uh, morphs as a result of this investigation. And then on compliance lessons, this is something that I think you and I are going to be talking about for, for quite some time, or what are the compliance lessons from this case? And one is certainly know who you're doing business with. And as, as she noted she quoted uh, one commentator in her article who said in the lack, excuse me, in these cases, the lack of due diligence controls is clear. For example, in steering players to a financial advisor uh, who most, most coaches did not ask about the financial advisor's qualification or track record in handling players' monies. And a, a Google search would have showed the securities fraud charges against them. So those types of uh, very simple due diligence and uh, very simple uh, company controls around uh, fake invoices and false entries, uh, how you circumvent those controls are highly relevant to the uh, compliance practitioner. Uh, also, there will be, I think, a, a pretty big shakeup of compliance at colleges and universities around the country as they strive to make sure that their business partners are doing business in compliance. So it's going to be uh, really interesting, I think, uh, to see that. Uh, Jacqueline, I think, has really highlighted a couple of points that are very important for the compliance practitioner to uh, take a look at now. We mentioned last week that if you work at an apparel company, uh, we would certainly suggest that you see what relationships, if any, you have with uh, universities or colleges and make sure that uh, controls are in place to uh, uh, accurately account for uh, any expenses and in, that your internal controls are effective. I'd also like to um, give a shout out to a friend of mine, uh, Jeff Lightman, who's the co-chair of the litigation department at Richards, Kibbe and Orby. And he's uh, quoted in the second paragraph of Jacqueline's story. And his quote is, this case demonstrates how prosecutors and regulators continue to view the sports world as a high risk industry for bribery and corruption. This should be a wake-up call for all organizations affiliated with the sports world. So I think we kind of touched upon this last week that, you know, first there was FIFA, now you've got NCAA, and uh, most of these sporting leagues always have this kind of uh, system where you're bringing people up from, um, you know, very highly functioning amateurs to bringing them into the professional organization. So I've got a feel that there's a feeding uh, 
pipeline like this. And this is just not something that only afflicts basketball or soccer, but, um, you know, to Jeff's point and to Jacqueline's point of the article that, uh, I think it's, it's probably the dark underbelly of most of professional and amateur, uh, athletics. Uh, so next up is um, one of the things that came up around the Allier FCPA enforcement action that we took a deep dive into last week. And Richard Bastrong wrote an article um, entitled Why Foreign Bribery and Accounting Fraud Happened Together. And I would really expand the topic that he starts with to revenue recognition and uh, bribery and corruption. Uh, but Richard, I think really um, – highlights a, a key convergence that most compliance practitioners do not consider, and that is recognizing revenue and uh, corruption. So how many times, Jay, have we seen where uh, business operatives uh, did something to uh, recognize revenue when they shouldn't have, which was actually a part of a bribery scheme and probably the most uh, obvious one that pops to mind is the Hewlett-Packard bribery scheme in Germany, where they literally, at the last day of each quarter, flipped equipment to a distributor uh, with a price uplift and continued to do so over several quarters. And then HP would purchase the uh, repurchase the equipment, all at uplifts over several quarters. And this was uh, used to create a pot of money to uh, pay bribes. And the uh, FCPA obviously has the accounting provisions, which require accurate books and records and effective internal controls. And I don't think that uh, compliance practitioners really think through um, the accounting fraud that is used and usually in conjunction with a uh, bribery uh, act to hide the bribes and also really put uh, extra revenue on a company's books. So uh, really interesting uh, convergence of those two, and I think that's something that uh, compliance practitioners uh, need to consider a little bit more often. Definitely. Um, next up on our list is uh, we're going back to Compliance Week, and uh, Bill Coffin asks, who will be the next compliance hero? Right, and this was in conjunction with National Compliance Officer Day, which uh, started last year, spearheaded by SAI Global. And its intent was uh, to really bring out, to celebrate the unique burdens carried by the compliance officers, the compliance professionals who uh, really help their drive the ethical, legal, and uh, sustainable business practices in corporations. And uh, Bill wrote a great piece on this. Uh, he interviewed the new um, uh, CEO of SAI Global, uh, Peter Granat, and uh, uh, it was a discussion around how compliance officers uh, really can use many of the newest technological tools to help them uh, move their programs forward. And that uh, the thing that I've, I've talked about for some time, Jay, which is, um, and this may resonate with you coming more from the business side of things, is that how compliance officers really need to hone their business skills so that they can better understand the full scope of activities at the companies they serve. So they can speak to the board, they can speak to the chief executives in the business language they understand. If um, compliance officers are going to explain ROI for compliance, you can't do it by talking about compliance. You have to do it by talking about business. And that's something that uh, law schools really don't uh, teach compliance officers. Reading a, uh, 
Uh, spreadsheet is a critical skill now for a compliance officer. And when you take it in the context of uh, the Department of uh, Justice's evaluation of corporate compliance programs and Wei Chin and operationalizing compliance this is exactly what the compliance officer needs to be ready to do and exactly where the compliance profession is going, which is operationalizing compliance, making it a part of the business process and requiring successful compliance officers to have these skills. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we also talk a lot about uh, being able to be cross-trained in with some of these programs now, um, you know, when you're at, at a larger company like GE or a big global organization, frequently they like to move their uh, personnel around into different departments so you get an idea what is sales doing, what is marketing is doing, and how you understand what the model of that business is. Because to our, you know, earlier point when you were talking about HP and how they're inflating the invoices and, you know, basically selling uh, equipment to themselves and marking it up and creating a slush fund. If you don't understand the way your business works and you don't know how you do business globally, it's going to make it extremely hard for you to try to help uh, manage that business from an ethics and compliance perspective and also how you're going to approach it from a, a mitigating risk perspective. So next up, we had a very interesting decision, Jay, from the, um, I guess, the court in Ireland, uh, but it's going to be something that really impacts uh, the legality of data transfers from Europe to the U.S. And that's really, I guess it's Shrims too. And uh, Ben DiPietro uh, reported in the Risk and Compliance Journal on the Wall Street Journal on, uh, online site that Ireland had requested a review by the European Court of Justice on the legality of contracts that came up after the SHRIMS decision, and that um, this uh, language that many companies use came into place after um, the safe harbor provision was struck down in SHRIMS 1. So um, it also led to the negotiation of Privacy Shield, which is out there. So we're going to have a ruling on the contract language, but it's, I think, going to really expand into further into Privacy Shield and whether or not that meets the uh, requirements under the uh, EU Court of, Court of Justice. So um, a big, big case for American companies. Of course, our colleague Jonathan uh, Armstrong and the Quartery Law Firm has put out a client alert on this. Uh, whether asking whether it's a threat to model clauses and contracts, international data transfers. So um, what are going to be the implications? And uh, we don't know when a decision might be expected, but it's uh, certainly whatever the decision is, is going to greatly impact U.S. companies. So uh, uh, another friend of the podcast, uh, Matt Kelly, who's in Boston, uh, had something to say about uh, Tom Price and ethics earlier this week on his radical compliance site. Uh, what's Steam and Matt? Well, um, our good friend, our former friend, uh, I guess, uh, Tom Price, who headed up the Department of Human Health and Services, uh, really went on just a, a profligate spending spree racking up over a million dollars for private hire, hiring private planes uh, for travel. 
Uh, he has offered to repay uh, 51000 of this, uh, which is apparently his cost for a commercial uh, economy class fare ticket, uh, even after having uh, charged off all of these costs to the government. And Matt, um, as you would expect, in only a way that Matt can, uh, certainly criticized uh, the uh, ethical um, stance of the Trump administration and Mr. Price specifically. But what really struck me is, or the lack of ethics of that administration, probably would be the better way to, to phrase it. But what struck me, Jay, was how he uh, demonstrated that if you really have a poor ethical culture, uh, which certainly the administration does have a poor ethical culture, at, particularly at the top, it increases your expense of your controls. And the example he gave came straight out of the, the, the Tom Price situation, which was that the current White House chief of staff, James Mattis, um, excuse me, uh, not James Mattis, uh, he's the secretary of defense, but the current John Kelly, John Kelly uh, chief of staff decreed that uh, he would have to approve uh, chartered airfare. Now, there's currently a U.S. government uh, circular about private airfare, and it sets out the criteria for when officials should decide or they should or should not take expensive air travel on the uh, company dollar. But now uh, Kelly has said that there will be no more uh, travel using private airfare without approval from the chief of staff. Now, uh, that's certainly uh, a way to get a handle on this, and it may be a way for Kelly to get everyone's attention. It may be a way to solve the uh, burgeoning PR problem of the uh, uh, lack of ethics of this administration. But think about the cost. You've got the literally the chief of staff of the president of the United States approving travel for cabinet officials. And is that the best and, and highest and best use of his time? So um, if you have a uh, weak ethical environment, um, then you're going to have to have strong and expensive internal controls. So um, if, conversely, if you have a strong ethical environment, uh, you would not have to have Secretary Kelly reviewing the, the travel. So I thought it was an interesting way to, uh, to consider this problem. Uh, if you have um, uh, ethics imbued with your top management and you believe that they're going to do the right thing, then you trust but verify. Uh, here you've got to go over every, literally every travel expense, and that's a, a front-end cost to Chief of Staff Kelly that is really very high. Yeah, there's a um, couple other quotes in here that are interesting. I, I think why you uh, mentioned Mattis before is, if, if you recall, earlier in the summer, um, he circulated a memo to everyone at the Defense Department stressing the importance of practicing ethics and making sure it would be an ethical muscle memory that you could rely upon. And as Matt closes out his article, he talks about um, our colleague Steve Kozlow, who is currently the chief compliance officer at Allianz Life. And at a roundtable event a few years ago, Steve had said, if I had one hour to worry about ethics or compliance, 
I'll worry about ethics every time because if I get that right, the compliance stuff gets a lot easier. So uh, if we uh, take a look at that maxim in this situation, uh, the compliance stuff's getting a lot harder. And when you have a chief of staff having to uh, be a travel agent, that really does not speak well for the uh, situation and the setup at hand. So uh, once again, kudos to Matt Kelly and uh, uh, great piece and some great lessons learned for not only the compli compliance practitioner, but also the compliance profession. So, Jay, uh, we have some sporting news. Yes, I'm sitting down. Uh, the sharp objects have been put away. Tell me, Tom. Uh, the, uh, the Patriots hung on to win last night. So uh, kudos to my main man, fellow Wolverine. And quarterback extraordinaire only slowed down from his march to the Hall of Fame because he's still playing, Tom Brady. Uh, but we also played a little baseball in Houston yesterday, and I don't know if, if it actually made it to the West Coast or not, but um, the Houston Astros stomped, uh, let me repeat that, stomped the uh, Boston Red Sox in the opening game of the ALDS series here at Minute Maid Park. Uh, eight to two, but I, I don't want to talk about that. I'm not here to talk about the stomping, the trashing of Chris Sales, the uh, just total domination of the Astros, because I'm not here to talk about that. But I am here. To okay. Talk what, about are, what are you here to talk about, Tom? <laughs> yes, I am. I'm not here. We're, we're not going to talk about the stomping the Astros gave because, you know, that just, it's a fact. But what we are here to talk about and really celebrate is the diminutive smallest Astro Jose Altuve, the uh, league leader in uh, batting average, uh, hopefully uh, MVP candidate uh, since Mike Trout had a down year, and he's the presumptive winner every year. But uh, Jose Altuve di uh, did something, Jay, that only nine other players in the history of Major League Baseball have done, which is have three home runs in a playoff game. So let me just name some of these other folks whose uh, company he joins. Albert Pujols, Andre Beltran, George Brett, Reggie Jackson, and Babe Ruth. Uh, last person to do so was Pablo Sandoval, uh, also a fellow Venezuelan. And as I've uh, wondered, uh, what's in the water in Venezuela that lets these guys hit so well? But um, it was just a, a sight to behold uh, to see the diminutive second baseman crushing ball after ball after ball after ball uh, while Houston crushed pitch after pitch after pitch, uh, all the way to their 8-2 uh, win. So really, uh, I can't remember. Are you a Red Sox fan? Uh, I, I've been known to uh, support known. them on the years that they win the World Series, yes. Okay, okay. Well, very good, very good. Uh, true homer. So uh, I don't know if that news made it out to uh, Los Angeles or not, but uh, in case it didn't, I wanted to certainly let you know and uh, – we don't get a lot of uh, athletic celebrations in Houston, so the few we get, we got to just run with. Well, I, I guess all I can say is uh, congratulations, well-deserved. Uh, the first inning definitely looked like home run derby and uh, looked like Sale was just putting them in so they could uh, hit them out of the Minute Maid. But it's, uh, it's a five-game series uh, last year. The Bosox got swept in three by uh, the sons of Francona, the Cleveland Indians. So uh, I think, uh, you know, if they can get out of here with a split, they'll be OK. And uh, I, I think we both know that sports uh, 
can change on any given day. So we need to be measured. But, uh, you know, right now, uh, Houston Strong needs something to celebrate. So I think you should celebrate your Astros. And uh, something else to celebrate, Tom, uh, you've got your one month to a more effective compliance program in October. If you can tell us about that and then tell us about the new master class that uh, you announced this week. Sure. Uh, I think as everyone knows, I'm going through uh, one year of um, a deep dive into effective compliance program. And this year we're doing vis- business ventures and I'm taking a look at compliance in the M&A context, joint ventures, distributors, channel ops partners, and really all manner, manner of business venture. Uh, the, um, the second week, uh, this first week, I took a deep dive into uh, mergers and acquisitions, and I continue that deep dive next week. And also, we began to look at joint ventures under the FCPA. I'm extraordinarily pleased to have uh, Mike Volkoff with the, Mike, uh, with the Volkoff Law Group as my sponsor this month. And we've linked to it in the show notes, but the uh, podcast is available on the FCPA Compliance Report, iTunes, Libsyn, and J.D. Supra. And uh, thanks for um, bringing up my new uh, exciting services offering, uh, which I'm really excited about, Jay. It's called the uh, Doing Compliance Masterclass. And as you know, I really uh, fancy myself as the nuts and bolts guy, and I try to bring the best practices of a compliance program to the greater compliance community. And so I've decided to um, uh, put together a doing compliance masterclass online. And every month I'm going to post a, uh, we're going to have a webinar and post that webinar, which gives you insight into one facet of having a doing compliance masterclass. The first uh, show uh, episode will go up on uh, October 23rd of this year. Uh, The price, uh, hopefully you'll think is right because it's only $79. Uh, per month, uh, you can join uh, really at any time, and if you um, um, hopefully will join for the uh, year, and there's a discount for that, but uh, you'll get 12 months of uh, what I believe is the top commentary on doing compliance, and I think it's only through the doing compliance that a company will fully protect itself. So I'm really pleased uh, to do this and looking forward to uh, talking with folks, visiting with folks, and really continuing the educational component of what uh, I can bring to the uh, greater compliance community. Jay, you have mentioned several times the SCCE upcoming conference, which begins on uh, Sunday, October 15th in Las Vegas. Uh, I'm really pleased to announce that uh, you and I are going to do a live uh, Facebook podcast from the SCCE. Uh, We're currently scheduled for uh, Tuesday, October 17th. At 4 p.m., uh, that will be 4 p.m. Pacific time. So um, perhaps uh, so that makes it a little bit later uh, for uh, folks on the East Coast or Central time. But we're going to do a live Facebook podcast. Uh, we will also have that available in audio form. But I'm really looking forward to uh, doing some live stuff. And this, since we'll both be in the same location, Jay, uh, really gives us an opportunity to expand <clears throat> our service offerings from uh, this week in FCPA. And uh, we never know who will stop by when you're at the SCCE. Somebody who's ranting, somebody who's raving, somebody new that we meet. So we're we're looking forward to doing that live. Uh, Also, something else that uh, really came out of last year's uh, SCCE CEI is the Everything Compliance podcast. And we have an episode that posted yesterday 
with Tom uh, pinch hitting for Mike Volkov, with Matt Kelly, with uh, Jonathan Armstrong and myself. And we recorded that podcast about a week ago. So we um, had a very heavy emphasis on uh, the NCAA uh, pay for shoes uh, scandal. And uh, as always, uh, many things that are on our minds. So uh, I think that pretty much uh, takes care of the docket for today. Is that right, Tom? You know, I think it does. And uh, we've gone on uh, pretty long. Jay, why don't you uh, take us home? So on behalf of Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist, and myself, Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitor, we'd like to thank you for sharing some of your time with us this week. As we take a look at the week in FCPA that was for October for the week ending October 6, 2017. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to episode 71 of This Week in FCPA. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings and also help get the word out about the only compliance podcast on a weekly roundup of all things FCPA compliance and ethics related. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can reach Jay at jrosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. I hope you will join us for our first live podcast uh, direct from the SCCE 2017 Compliance and Ethics Institute. We will certainly let you know the timing of that event. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to This Week in FCPA. I hope you will join us again. This Week in FCPA is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.